0: Thank you very much. Okay, that's an embarrassing way to start a sermon. But uh, one of our values at Highway is authenticity, so I can use that as an excuse. Uh, perspective is what we're thinking about. New Year's is a great time for a perspective. We talked about this last week, right? We talked about how at the end of the year, it's common for people to zoom out, and we reflect on the past. Uh, But even more so, what people normally do in the new year is we think about the future. And what we normally do is we come up with some new goals for our lives that we promise. We promise we're going to put them into practice this year, right? Money goals, eating goals, career goals. Uh, But of course, the biggest ones are the goals of fitness, right? Gyms joining a gym, running, counting calories. I was thinking about the great links that we go to uh, in this pursuit, and there are some new fitness trends, some of you will be aware of them, and maybe some of you aren't, uh, that might be worth trying this year, okay? Have you heard about goat yoga yet? It's a real thing. Nothing says, I care about my fitness more than letting a goat stand on you while you do the downward dog, <laughs> Uh, another one, have you heard of this one? I'm very excited about this one. There's a new trend called napper size. It's a real thing. Have you heard about this? So you go to a yoga studio, you do some yoga, and then you take a nap. And I know some of you are like, I finally, finally have found the <laughs> exercise that will work for me. I'm with you. Uh, these trends, though, have been going on for a while. They, there used to be vibrating belts. You, anybody remember those? You could apparently go to a reducing parlor and get hooked up to one of these machines. Uh, then how about, of course, we remember this one, Size. Oh, yeah. Look at those suits. Those are coming back, too. Uh, and then I remember as a kid, there was a thing called Thighmaster. Remember that? Yes, I remember as a kid. I thought it looked like a torture device to me. <laughs> Uh, These are funny, but it's fascinating, like what we'll try to do to reach our fitness goals. And the reality is New Year's is a great time to observe the culture because it's a time to really understand what matters most in our culture. The goals and visions and hopes uh, for the future are resolutions for people to get back to what matters most. So people step back and they think, what matters most in my life? How can I improve these things in the future? And this comes from a sincere desire we all innately have deep inside Christian or not. We know, we know something is not right. And we have this sense that there is more, uh, that we want life to be more full and abundant. Every human has this deep, innate desire to flourish and we talked about this on Christmas Eve, we want our lives to be better, more fulfillment in our jobs, comfort and security with our money, success in our endeavors, looking good. But, but, is it working? Is it working? While this deep longing, fulfillment a flourishing life, like this might be a good thing, are the things we're pursuing actually giving us fullness? Now, I'm pro-physical health. I'm pro, like, being wise with our money and having worthwhile careers, but I don't see evidence of people gaining deep joy, peace, and hope, and contentment. And for us in this room this morning, if we're honest, even though we are at a church in the new year, right now, we might claim to follow a different way than the world, but I wonder, I wonder If we're actually trying to find our deep fulfillment in the same kinds of things. So today we're going to talk about zooming out, gaining perspective on what matters most. What's the vision for our life and has it gotten away from us? So we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter three and the apostle Paul in the early days of the church wrote a letter to the church of Philippi and he was discussing this concept of what matters most. And he, he begins by, by giving a resume of the great things that he's accomplished as a Jewish leader. Uh, he had done very, uh, very many things that were worthy in the eyes of others, the world's standards, or in the flesh, as he says. He's extremely accomplished and blameless. But then he says this about his accomplishments or his gains. He says this, Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish, as rubbish. So he talks about all these accomplishments he has as losses, but then he ends with a much stronger word. The English word rubbish in Greek is skubalon, skubalon. Let's all say this out loud together, skubalon, skubalon. Yes, and, and this is a word that's like the closest to profanity that we can get in the Bible. It means dung. It means excrement. In case we're not clear what we're talking about here, I grew up in Oklahoma, so it wouldn't have been uncommon for someone to walk in a room with boots on and someone would say, ooh, someone someone stepped in skubalon, right? I think you get the idea. <laughs> He's accomplished a lot in the world. He had a great status in the community. He had prestige and honor. But after following Jesus, now he says those things don't matter. They're excrement. They're refuge. They are garbage. And today, in a new year, thousands of years later, we can find ancient wisdom in this letter for us. It applies to us. We all have this longing for wholeness and flourishing life, but so often we try to fill it and attain it through fleshly, worldly ways. Scubalon, scubalon. So there's this concept I started using a few years ago that I call the endless cycle of scubalon. And now th- this is trademarked. So if you use it I uh, will have to sue you uh, <laughs> just what I have to do. Uh, th- these are areas that we commonly use to find wholeness and fulfillment. I got these from the author, Henry Nouwen, who talks about these three areas that we often try to find our identity. So the first area is this. The first area is what I do. What I do. So what do you do? This is like one of the first questions we meet when uh, we, we ask, when we meet somebody, we say, what do you uh, do? What's your job, your skill, your talents, You an entrepreneur, teacher, are you an engineer or a writer? And, and when I'm out in the neighborhood or at my kid's school, like I have a love-hate relationship when someone asks me this question, uh, because I'm proud of being a pastor. Uh, I'm proud of leading the greatest church in the entire Bay Area. <laughs> But it can also be terribly awkward, right? Uh, When people ask me that, like, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm actually a pastor. Some people think it's fascinating and interesting, but others, you can see, they just sort of instantly tense up. And you can almost read it in their faces, like, oh, so you're a crazy person. (laughs) Or, oh, so you're judging me right now. Uh, Oh, so I know who I don't want to hang out with with parties anymore. Uh, It's like a love hate relationship. And that's because we put so much of our lives into what we do, right? Especially in Silicon Valley, it's an area known for what people do. But it's not just our jobs, right? For some of us, it's being a parent. We try and find our fulfillment through parenting our kids. Some of us, it's a hobby. I'm a rock climber. That's what I do. I'm a surfer. That's what I do. And in our social media world, we see influencers who do epic adventures and experiences and vacations. That's what they do. And in the new year, man, we see this pull to do more this year. Crush your career goals. Get more clients. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Do more epic vacations and post them on Instagram. It's it's endless. Now, the second area is what I have. What I have. I want to show you a picture of something that I have. Uh, this is our pop-up camper. And it's nice, isn't it? We've splurged. We bought this during the pandemic. I had a love for camping and uh, Lori had never camped before. So it's sort of the best of both worlds. We can camp, we can be out in nature, but she can still sleep on a bed and have a heater. It's, it's great. And we sort of treasure it. Right? We've been taking a lot of uh, camping trips as a family. It's been awesome, but you know what's been happening lately, right? I've been wandering over to Facebook Marketplace, and I've been eyeing some bigger and better campers. Like this one has a full shower and a bathroom. This one actually looks really cool, so I can sort of be like the cool dad in the neighborhood. Uh, this one is a, a, goes off-roading. Uh, but that's the thing about what we have, right? Right? we always want to have more. In our consumer culture, we're not happy until I get that thing, but then I get that thing, and I have buyer's remorse, and I realize I need another thing. A bigger house, a newer car, more retirement security, more stock options. But it's not just material things, right? It could be a relationship. I have this girlfriend or this boyfriend, I have this child, I have this parents, and I cling to them. I treasure them. It can even be more abstract. I, I live in this suburb so I can have security and safety. I live in America so I have freedom. If we're not careful, we end up trying to find fulfillment in things or relationships or treasures. Now, the third area is this, is what people say about me, what people say about me. And this is a big one. Some of you might think you're past this, like this is how I was in high school. But if you look closer, you realize that how many decisions are built on status. Success is often based on how successful you are in comparison to other people. How do people perceive me? We find our worth and our value through the opinions of others. And obviously in the new year, this can be a big one. We want to appear that we're fit and healthy, successful. Now, all these three areas are intimately connected too, right? We do things to have things or to prove ourselves to others. People have more than us, so we long to have more, so we do better things. And it's an endless cycle. Another way to think of it is a hamster wheel. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. It's my art. Again, trademarked. If you use it, I'll have to see. We think if I could just do this or have this or people see me as that, then I will be fulfilled. I will thrive and flourish. So we keep chasing, we keep running and running without gaining anything. Internally, do you know anybody like this? Maybe it's not you. Maybe you know someone who is anxious inside, hurried, broken, unsatisfied. It's scoobalon. It's rubbish. It's loss. And yet, this is what our culture seems to think is most important. So what really matters then? What brings a deeper spiritual inner fulfillment in this new year? What's a sustainable vision for our lives? Paul continues in this ancient letter. He says, I regard them as rubbish, as scubalon, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. And he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. The Hebrew word here for know is ginosko. And this word implies like a deeper kind of knowing than we normally think about. Uh, Because really, when you think about it, there's two ways of knowing. Uh, The first way of knowing is all about facts, information, details. And we live in a a great period of time for this kind of knowing because we can go on Google and YouTube. Uh, I can't count the, the number of times a day when I have a weird question like, where do eucalyptus trees come from? And I go to Google, or what are hot dogs made of? <laughs> you don't want to look that one up, trust me. And I'll immediately go to Google, and I will get some information. This is one kind of knowing. It's the kind of knowledge we typically get from books in school. But then there's another kind of knowing. This kind of knowing is built on intimacy and relationship. And this is what ginosko is referring to. There's a Hebrew word that, that's similar to this word. It's the word "yada." Yada" is used in Genesis to describe this intimate kind of knowing. In Genesis four, we see this: that Adam, Yada. Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. I don't think I need to paint you a picture here of what the author is talking about. This is a kind of knowing that is intimate is built on a depth of a relationship. See, if we're not careful, Christianity and our pursuit of Christ can easily become a religion focused on facts and information. But this is not what Paul is talking about. He, he, his goal is not to know about Christ, it's to know him intimately, to be transformed by this intimate knowledge. Now, I sort of think of it like this. Uh, imagine if you asked me about my youngest son, and you wanted to know more about my youngest son. Now, what if I answered in this way? I'm like, yeah, I'll tell you about him. Uh, his birth date is May 17th. His blood type is O positive. He got the flu shot in November 2023. He's three foot five inches tall, and his head circumference is 50 centimeters. <laughs> You'd probably say, Wow. You're weird. And let's remember never to invite the Hendrixes over for dinner. (laughs) But I could answer in another way, right? That stuff is all true, but I could also answer and tell you uh, about the way that he has this laugh that can light up our house. Like seriously, we'll have these tickle fights at night and we both just start cracking up and I can't stop laughing. Or I could tell you about how he calls me Daddy Man. (laughs) That's his name for me, so he says it throughout the day. Or at night, he'll look at me, he's got these big eyes, and it just like melts my heart. Or I could tell you how he loves to learn how things work. He sort of got this engineer brain. So just the other day, we were in the car, and he wanted to know how uh, gas gets into the engine and how that gas gets burned, and he was so fascinated. Or he'll ask us how like the plumbing systems work. I could tell you about the other day we were at the dinner table and he, we asked him what he was grateful for and he said, my friends. And we said, who are your friends? And He said, mommy, daddy, Bubba, and sissy. It was so sweet, right? This is a different kind of knowing. This kind of knowing is built on time. It's built on relationship, vulnerability, and intimacy. When you look at the words of Paul, or the early church, or the heroes of our faith. You see such a depth and intimacy with Christ that goes beyond facts and information. There's an abiding peace, calm, and fullness that pervades their being. This is the goal. This is the vision. Every one of us, again, Christian or not, has this desire to flourish, have deep fulfillment, and it doesn't come through the accumulation of on having more, doing more, getting more praise. It's from a deep, intimate, transcendent relationship with Jesus that pervades our inside and transforms us. Now, often Christianity can be presented as transactional. I've decided to receive Christ. Now I'm a Christian. I know him. I've done it. I can check that box. But the goal is not a one-time transaction. It's a process of knowing Christ more and more, allowing him to transform us. So it takes time. It takes intimacy. Now, maybe you have some questions. I certainly do. Uh, The main one is this. How do I get to know an invisible presence in this way? One of the heroes of our faith is a man named Nicholas Herman. He lived in uh, France in the 1600s, and and Herman had this moment of seeing the beauty of God so much so that he had a point where he completely turned his back on the scubalon of the world, and he joined a monastery. And it was there he his name was changed to Brother Lawrence. And a collection of his letters were eventually turned into a book called "Practicing the Presence of God." In this book, Lawrence talks about a moment to moment way of communing. With Jesus, knowing him intimately, not through like rote prayers or requests, but becoming more aware of his presence while doing the dishes or making sandals for others. And Brother Lawrence, like other heroes of the faith, they give us this vision for a life that goes beyond just coming to a church or doing a Bible reading or being part of a small group. Although those things are good, it's a vision of finding fulfillment and peace knowing God more and more in each moment, each task, each conversation. and This can come through breath prayers. This can come through stillness in the morning, reflection at night. There are many practices to employ, but the goal is to know Jesus more and more. So when we zoom out, we gain perspective. This is the vision of what it means to follow Jesus, walking with him, being slowly transformed into his image. I was reminded of this reality last week. I was thinking about our church and the vision uh, and the future of our church, and I, I felt like God was reminding me and whispering to me, just saying, ultimately, the vision for you as a pastor is help others know Jesus more and more. This is my calling. And I know some of you right now, maybe you're longtime Christians, you might be thinking, Wow. Really revolutionary stuff here, Pastor. Knowing Christ more. That's really it. That's the most obvious thing there is. I get it. But those of us who have followed Jesus for a while now, we have to zoom out. And we have to ask ourselves a really hard question, and it might sound a little judgy. It's a question that requires deep, deep honesty. We have to ask ourselves, do I know Jesus more This year than last year. It's been a little more than 365 days since the beginning of 2023. In the past year, have I become a more patient person? Have I become more peaceful, more loving, more joyful, gentle, kind, generous, faithful, this is what a deeper knowing of Christ will bring. It will bring fruits of the Spirit. These will increase as we come to know Him in a more intimate way. And maybe even a harder question what would people say that live around us? What would your family say? Do they see this happening in you? Your friends, your co workers? I'm not judging, I'm not assuming but this is a part of having perspective and zooming out. This is the vision and goal of knowing Jesus It's being transformed into his likeness. And I have to ask myself that, is that actually happening in me? Because for many Christians, we think we're pretty good at knowing, but it's often the first kind of knowing. We know the right things We know some Bible verses, we know what to say to others, but deep in our soul and our spirit, when no one else is watching, do we know Christ deeply more and more? This is the goal. This is what matters most. I want to give one final word on this vision and perspective, and and this is going to lead us into our next sermon series uh, that Vimal was talking about. Uh, Paul continues with this, this writing by saying this: He says, that, "I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection." We talked about that a few weeks ago, and the sharing of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death." This is another example of how following Jesus is countercultural. What matters most in our world is a cycle of Scubalon that is all about us doing more, having more, more status. But that's not the vision we follow. This vision of knowing Jesus and being transformed into His likeness is not just for us and our sake. We can just look at the one we follow. What did Jesus have? No house, no spouse. No kids, no possessions. What did people say about him? Some loved him, but many called him a betrayer or a devil. Eventually, people despised him so much they couldn't bear to have him alive anymore. What did Jesus do? He gave, he surrendered, he died. This is the upside down, countercultural way of Jesus in his kingdom. To gain is to lose. Just like Jesus, we give ourselves for our neighbors and our world. We've been sent with a mission to give. For those who are stuck in an endless cycle of scublon, we show them a different way beyond having, beyond doing, beyond proving to others.